The next item of business is First Minister's questions, and at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Michael Matheson ran up an £11,000 bill on his iPad and claimed the costs from the taxpayer. It was over the Christmas break, and £7,300 of that bill covered a single day, which was a public holiday. To put that into context, to run up those charges, he would have needed to have sent 8,000 emails in that one day. That's an email written and sent every 10 seconds continuously for 24 hours. All this while the Health Secretary was in Morocco on holiday. Does the First Minister really believe that Michael Matheson ran up all these costs on parliamentary business? Yes or no? First Minister. Presiding officer, there is clearly more to say uh, on this issue, and that's why Michael Matheson has agreed to make, with the agreement of Parliament, to make a personal statement later today. I have no intention of pre-empting that statement. He will lay out uh, in full detail what has happened uh, in relation to the use of his iPad. He has, uh, of course, Michael has agreed to pay back the full amount. He has admitted uh, to an honest mistake that has been made. And, of course, he will elaborate on that and certainly reflect on that. Let us hear the First uh, Minister. Officer, I do understand in our politics, the very first place we all go to is to think uh, the very worst of each other. And, President Officer, I hold my hands up. I've often done that uh, myself and been guilty of it uh, too. But honest mistakes uh, do happen. Michael has been a member of this parliament uh, since its inception. All of us who have worked with him know that he is a man of honesty and indeed of integrity. So instead of rushing to besmirch each other's character, perhaps our politics would be a little better if we gave each other the benefit of the doubt. Michael will lay out in full the, what has happened in relation to his iPad. And of course, the central point being he has already agreed, and I think he has already in fact paid back uh, the full amount incurred on this expense. Douglas Ross. Hamza Youssef said it was an honest mistake. He's 50% right with that. And he also said he has no intention of getting into this. Well, I have no intention of letting the First Minister off with that argument. Because this goes to the heart of his government and his actions, and also the impact this is having on people across Scotland. Because this morning it emerged that Michael Matheson had cancelled a government visit to Glasgow GP surgery. The Health Secretary has stopped doing his job because of this. So this really matters when Scotland's NHS is in crisis and we're approaching winter. It matters if there's an attempt to dupe taxpayers out of £11,000. For nearly a year, Michael Matheson was happy for the taxpayer to pick up this bill. He made no attempt to repay it until he was caught. His story is farcical beyond belief. So I'm going to repeat my question to the First Minister. Can he guarantee that Michael Matheson ran up all of these costs on parliamentary business, yes or no? First Minister. Again, Michael Matheson uh, will lay out in full detail uh, what has happened. And Michael Matheson has already said, of course, us last week. First, First Minister. When a question has been put to the First Minister, I'm sure we all want to hear the response. We cannot hear the response when people are shouting from seats. First Minister. The response is there is clearly more to it. Douglas Ross is absolutely right. 
What I won't do is preempt the personal statement that Michael Matheson has agreed with the presiding officer to make later this afternoon. He, afternoon. he will lay out in full detail uh, what has happened. But importantly, of course, when that mistake was not just made, when, of course, Michael Matheson was made aware of that mistake, he took corrective action. That corrective action was, of course, to repay the full amount. Where I disagree uh, entirely with Douglas Ross is that Michael Matheson has been doing anything other than concentrating on the job at hand. That's why he was able to announce, and we were able to announce this morning, of course, that we've secured the future of Community Links Workers' Posts in Glasgow with an additional investment of £1.2 million. <laughs> on top of that, presiding officer, on top of that, of course, this is the Health Secretary that ensured that Scotland was the country where there was not junior doctor strikes. Uh, on top of that, this is the Health Secretary who secured annual funding of £100 million to help to reduce waiting lists. So Michael Matheson is absolutely concentrating on the job at hand, but of course he will lay out in full later this afternoon uh, the full detail of what has happened in relation to his parliamentary iPad. Douglas Ross. The, the Health Secretary is not doing his job. We know he refused to comment on shocking A&E waiting times this week because he was worried about the questions over his personal conduct. So yes, we need to hear from the Health Secretary, but this now goes beyond his actions. The First Minister has put his own personal reputation on the line. When this story broke, Hamza Yusuf said the £11,000 bill was a legitimate expense. He said the money didn't need to be repaid to the taxpayer. He called Michael Matheson a person of integrity and character. He said, and I quote, I absolutely take Michael at his word. He gave him his 100% backing. The First Minister is claiming Michael Matheson's word is more important than the facts. But Hamza Yusuf's integrity is at stake here. So a direct question to the First Minister that he can't just put on the statement this afternoon, does the First Minister still believe, as he did last week, even now with all the evidence, that this £11,000 bill was a legitimate expense? First Minister. First of all, planning officer, to get a lecture on principles and integrity from the party that gave us Boris Johnson is quite something. In the week when Douglas Ross's party, their flagship policy in Rwanda was torn to pieces by the Supreme Court, First hardly Minister. a party to First be lecturing Minister. anybody on First principles First Minister. and integrity. First Minister. It's absolutely impossible to hear any question or response being put at the moment because there is far too much noise coming from members and I will ask you to desist. First Minister. As I said, uh, Presiding Officer, it is clear that there is more uh, that has been discovered in relation to the iPad and the expense. Michael Matheson will make that clear in a statement later on this afternoon. And of course, I do have absolute confidence in Michael Matheson as the Cabinet Secretary uh, for Health. And let me tell you why. Because on top of uh, ensuring that we resolve the issue around Community Links Workers posts in Glasgow, on top of ensuring that we resolve the junior doctor First strike. Minister, First Minister, I'm going to ask you, Mr Hoy, to make sure that that is the last remark that I hear when you are not on your feet and you haven't been called to speak. 
First Minister. Well, they don't want to hear it because, of course, it goes contrary to their claims. Because Michael Matheson is also the Health Secretary that announced 15.6 million additional funding for hospital at home this year to deal with winter pressures. He's the Health Secretary that announced £50 million for funding for the Scottish Ambulance Service. That is a Health Secretary that is entirely focused on ensuring that NHS recovers through the course of what will be one of the most difficult winters. And as I say, Presiding Officer, Michael Matheson, upon discovering what is an honest mistake, of course paid back the expense in its entirety. Douglas Ross. It, it wasn't upon discovering something. He claimed this. He claimed £11,000 from the taxpayer. And all I have asked from Hamza Youssef is, does he still agree, as he did last week, this was a legitimate expense, yes or no? And does he agree that that £11,000, that costs were ran up purely on parliamentary business, yes or no? I've tried that three times, and three times I have not had an answer. And the fact is, the First Minister should have immediately launched an investigation into this matter. He should have demanded that Michael Matheson hand over the device to be examined. Instead, he's the last person in Scotland still believing his health secretary's ridiculous claim. Now, if this story changes to be about family or personal usage, that still won't cut it, because it will be nearly a year after the claim and a week into this scandal. The evidence shows that Michael Matheson claimed £11,000 of taxpayers' money when he knew it wasn't for parliamentary work. It wasn't just a mistake, it was dishonest. So will Hamza Youssef do the right thing and sack Michael Matheson or wait for his resignation? First Minister. As I have already demonstrated in my responses to Douglas Ross, Michael Matheson has been concentrating on ensuring that our NHS recovers through uh, the course of what will be one of the most challenging winters uh, it has faced. That's evidenced by the fact that I know over the last few weeks he's been working diligently to ensure that we are able to fund Community Links Workers' Post uh, in uh, Glasgow. And I'm pleased we've been able to get to a resolution on that very matter. This, of course, is a matter between Michael Matheson as an MSP and, indeed, the parliamentary uh, authorities. And, of course, the Parliament have made it clear that they have investigated the matter. But I have actually answered Douglas Ross's question. Mr Ross, time Mr. Ross, excuse me, First Minister. The First Minister is answering questions. Mr. Mr Ross, Mr Ross, you have had an opportunity to put questions to the First Minister. It's extremely important that we carry out our business in an orderly fashion and show one another courtesy and respect. First Minister. Presiding officer, I have answered, of course, Douglas Ross's question, which is that there is clearly more that has come to light, which Michael Matheson will make clear in just a couple of hours' time. That is why he took the decision to repay back the full amount of this expense. So he will lay that out. Uh, Michael Matheson will lay that out later this afternoon. What Michael Matheson will then continue to do, of course, is what he has been doing for weeks, for months now, which is ensuring that our NHS gets all the support it needs during one of the most difficult periods in its history. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. While the Health Secretary fights to save his job, the crisis in the NHS continues. Greater Glasgow and Clyde Health Board have been named as a suspect in a corporate homicide investigation into the deaths of four patients, including 10-year-old Millie Main. For years, Millie's family have sought justice. But years on from this case first being raised, no one has been held to account 
and no one has lost their job. The chair, John Brown, who has overseen the scandal, comes to an end of his term in a few weeks. But despite being chair of the only public body in Scottish history to be named a suspect in a corporate homicide case, he is to be kept on by the government as an advisor on NHS good governance. An advisor on NHS good governance. You couldn't make this up. First Minister, what message does this send to grieving families and what does it say about your judgment that the man who presided over this scandal will continue to advise your government? First Minister. Presiding officer, first of all, uh, my thoughts and my condolences continue to go to the families that have been uh, impacted and affected. And let me uh, pay credit to Anasawa, who has provided, uh, I know, support to many of those families who have been so tragically impacted and affected. Where uh, Anasawa and I will vehemently disagree is that, uh, of course, the government, uh, I believe, has, of course, taken action. That is why we established the public inquiry in the very first place. The entire purpose, the entire point of a public inquiry is to get to the truth of these matters. I can't obviously comment on a live police investigation. It is important for me to say that, of course, individuals haven't been named in relation to the health board. In that regard, it is the health board, NHS Good at Glasgow and Clyde, that has, as a corporate entity, been named as a suspect. And I would say to Anasawar, he may wish to be the judge and the jury in the investigation. It is my job to ensure that I don't interfere, that I don't intervene, neither in the public inquiry or indeed interfere in a live police investigation. So we will hold to the board to account when necessary. That's why, of course, the oversight board was established in the first place. And that's why we ensured that the 108 recommendations were completed. So we'll allow the independent inquiry and the independent police investigation get on with the job that they're meant to do without the government interfering. Anna Sarwar. You see, the First Minister's judgment is called into question here because Jean Freeman put these people into special measures and Hamza Youssef lifted them out of special measures and empowered them. So let me be clear, John Brown shouldn't be advising this government and he should not hold any public appointments while the criminal investigation and the public inquiry continues. And the chief executive of this health board, Jane Grant, has been in post since before Millie died. During that time, she's been paid over £1 million. She has led an organisation that is now being investigated for corporate homicide, that has gaslit grieving families, shut down and bullied NHS staff, and called into question the results of an independent review that expose fatal infections in children. Now, she will continue to run this health board while the police investigate her actions and those of the people who report to her. In any other walk of life, suspects would not be allowed to walk free on a crime scene. So why does the First Minister continue to back and not sack the Chief Executive of this health board? First Minister. Can we just be absolutely clear on this? Anasawa has uh, other information uh, that is not in the public domain. Individuals such as Jane Grant have not been themselves named as a suspect. It is, of course, NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde as a corporate entity, uh, of course, that has been named uh, as a suspect. And it is a suspect. It is important that the police investigation is allowed to continue. As I say, Anasawa may wish. Uh, in his uh, position to be judge and jury. It is important that I allow the police investigation to happen uh, without interruption. And Asawa makes the point uh, to me that uh, the, the NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde uh, were de-escalated. He's right, they were de-escalated. But the entire point is they were de-escalated because they made improvements in performance following the completion 
of all 108 recommendations outlined in the independent review. Is Anna Sauer seriously suggesting that having completed all of the recommendations in that oversight board, that no appropriate action then should have been taken? In relation to patient safety, which is at the very heart of these issues, I'm very pleased that this Parliament was able to pass the Patient Safety Commissioner uh, Bill. On top of that, of course, we have taken many actions uh, in relation to patient uh, safety. So I will continue to ensure that we allow the public inquiry, allow the police investigation to take its course unimpeded without interference from the Scottish Government and at the same time, of course, do everything we can to ensure patient safety within our NHS. It's such a tragedy that every week the First Minister just continues to demonstrate how completely out of depth he is in terms of his position. The first ever corporate homicide investigation of a public body in Scottish history. And these are the answers we are getting from Scotland's First Minister. Deadly mistakes made, facts denied, a cover-up continuing, and to this day no one, not a single person, held to account. Instead, incompetence is rewarded. This is not just a story of this health board, but of this SNP government. From deleted WhatsApp COVID messages to the leadership of this health board being allowed to continue in their jobs, also this government can try and save face while families grieve the loss of loved ones. First Minister, your choices have consequences. This is what Kimberly Darrick, the mother of Millie Maine, said on Monday. I've never been able to celebrate Millie's life like I should be. Anytime I think of Millie, I think of all the pain that day caused and continues to cause. I feel that pain the day I lost her every single day because of all of this. First Minister, for once, do the right thing. Sack the leadership of this health board. First Minister. President Officer, I can't imagine uh, the pain of losing a child. I think it is every uh, parent's worst nightmare, without a shadow uh, of a doubt. And I have, of course, uh, paid uh, credit to those who have supported uh, Kimberly Darrick and other families who have suffered uh, such a loss. What I am interested in is action. That's why this government established the Oversight Board. That's why we established the public inquiry. That's why we introduced and passed the Patient Safety Commissioner Bill. That's why we introduced the duty of candour. That's why we established the Independent National Whistleblowers Office, the first of its kind in the UK. That's why we ensured that there are whistleblowing champions in every single health board. We will continue to demonstrate uh, that leadership. And I know Anasawa, he's always faltering when he goes for the personal attacks. It's something he has done throughout his entire period uh, as leader uh, of the Scottish Labour Party. Can I remind him about his version of leadership? I think we've seen just yesterday a demonstration of the lack of leadership that Anasawar is able to show. If in the face of thousands of innocent men, women and children in Gaza being killed, that Anasawar can't even demand that his own Labour MPs back a ceasefire, then that's not a version of leadership, presiding officer, that I will subscribe to. Question number three, Alex Cole-Hamilton. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister when the Cabinet will next meet. First Minister. Tuesday. Alex Cole-Hamilton. I have here a Freedom of Information request which shows that the Fire Service contacted the Scottish Government four years ago about having to prop up station ceilings because of dangerous concrete. RAC is in 14 of them, from Mulgai to Portree. The Chief Fire Officer asked for £70 million to fix it, but Ministers actually cut their capital 
budget in real terms. Fire station roofs were the canary in the coal mine for the concrete crisis now affecting schools and hospitals. And yet the government were nowhere on this, not telling Parliament, ignoring it internally, even cutting budgets. Firefighters run towards danger on every job, presiding officer. They shouldn't have to face it when they return to base. So can I ask the First Minister, would the government have ignored dangerous concrete for four years if it was found in the ceiling of Butte House? First Minister. Uh, can I say to uh, Alex Cole Hamilton, uh, of course, uh, what we have been doing and, have, uh, and, and, and many of our public bodies, uh, local authorities have been doing, of course, uh, is following uh, the guidance uh, of uh, structural, uh, Institute of Structural uh, Engineers. It's really important uh, that we continue to align ourselves uh, with that important uh, guidance. And of course, where RAC has been found, uh, in the vast overwhelming majority of cases, my understanding that appropriate mitigations have been put in place. Uh, I did have a meeting just yesterday uh, with the Scottish Trade Unions Congress and the, the, the FBU represented uh, at uh, that meeting. They made a passionate plea uh, in relation to the budgetary position that they are in, both in terms of the capital and resource, and RAC was mentioned in those uh, discussions. So I will, of course, give those calls uh, absolute consideration, uh, as will the Deputy First Minister, uh, when we are working up uh, uh, the, the, the budget uh, next uh, month. What I will say to Alasco Hamilton is this government has taken extensive uh, measures uh, and action alongside our partners in local government and other public bodies in relation to the RAC issue, and I'm happy that the government will provide uh, Alasco Hamilton with a written response with all of the detail of the actions we've taken. Question number four, Stephanie Callaghan. Apologies, presiding officer. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, to ask the First Minister what assessment the Scottish Government has made of the impact of the low emission zone in Glasgow. First Minister. The Scottish Government remains committed to tackling air pollution through the introduction of low emission zones in Aberdeen, in Dundee, in Edinburgh and indeed in Glasgow. We already know that many drivers have taken action to prepare for LEZs following our awareness raising campaigns. In addition, we've provided substantial funding to reduce emissions from uh, midlife buses and taxis and supported those who are most in need of assistance to switch to less polluting and sustainable means of travel. Over £10 million has been provided through the LEZ Support Fund since 2019, resulting in almost 3,000 non-compliant vehicles being disposed of or retrofitted, retrofitted with cleaner technology. It's too early to comment on the impact on air pollution since LEZ enforcement commenced on the 1st of June 2023. This is because the data needs to be collected over an appropriate period and analysed. However, we do look forward to receiving the statutory LEZ reports and air quality data from Glasgow City Council in due course. Stephanie Callaghan. I thank the First Minister for that answer. And it is really encouraging that the most recent figures show a drop in the number of fines issued in Glasgow's low emission zone, an indication that public awareness is growing. So can I ask the First Minister what interactions are taking place between the Scottish Government and other councils across Scotland who are looking to implement similar less schemes as we work together to move towards a cleaner, greener and healthier transport system? First Minister. Well, I was pleased to see that a number of PCNs being issued following month and month since July. I believe this shows the intended uh, deterrent uh, effect uh, of increasing surcharges for subsequent contraventions uh, of the LEZs uh, is working. I'm very pleased uh, that, of course, uh, progress is being made uh, in relation to the other cities 
uh, low emission uh, zones. And we know, of course, that when it comes to uh, the challenges of air pollution right across Scotland, uh, that, we, that these measures are increasingly uh, important. Uh, we know that uh, enforcement of uh, the LEZ, LEZs will commence on the 30th of May 2024 in Dundee, and the 1st of June 2024 in Aberdeen, and indeed uh, in Edinburgh. So it's important that uh, in the face of a climate crisis that we can all see in front of us uh, almost uh, every uh, single uh, day, uh, that we do everything we possibly can uh, to, uh, to, to mitigate that climate crisis, but also, of course, importantly for low emission zones, they are an important public health measure, particularly in some of our, our most polluted urban areas. Graham Simpson. Well, I can tell the First Minister that at least 150 motorists are being wrongly issued fines every month for driving through Glasgow's low emission zone. And Glasgow City Council says it doesn't know what to do with the colossal sums, half a million pounds so far, that it's raising. Shouldn't they have sorted this out before introdu introducing this botched scheme? First Minister. There's hardly a surprise that every time, of course, this government or indeed local government brings forward any even small or mild measure in order to tackle the climate crisis, it is opposed by the Conservatives yeah. time and time and time again, presiding uh, uh, officer. Uh, let's also uh, be absolutely clear that when it comes to all revenue uh, above that incurred uh, in, in, in running the LEZ scheme itself, can only be used for activities that help to reduce air pollution or contribute towards achieving our climate change targets. So I know that Glasgow will be thinking about what, uh, where it can spend that money in order to help to reduce air pollution or indeed uh, meet its own climate change uh, targets. But I do say to Graeme Simpson and the Conservatives, uh, they cannot continue to be climate deniers. They have to get with the mainstream and, and indeed support anybody, be it national government, be it local government, uh, in order to tackle the dangers of the climate crisis. Holly McNeill. The city of Glasgow desperately needs people to return to the nighttime economy as the most locked down city in the UK. And taxis are key to ensuring that people have confidence they will be able to get home. But taxi drivers have had to fight for every concession to help them comply with the LEZ zone. And taxi drivers tell me there's only one garage that will help them comply. And the waiting list is as long as 2026, but they only have a year to comply. Given, as the First Minister said, that other cities will face these challenges, will the First Minister look into a national grant scheme and what else can be done to help the taxi trade comply, and given that Scotland's largest city needs to come out of the pandemic in recovery? I think this is very much important to, to deal with. First Minister. This is an important issue, of course. We all value uh, the nighttime economy and, of course, uh, the important role that taxis, uh, taxi drivers uh, play in that uh, regard. It is important to note that it isn't, it isn't necessary to purchase a new taxi or an electric taxi to be LEZ uh, compliant for taxi operators who do wish to change their vehicle. Uh, some older taxis may be suitable for that retrofitting, but I take the point that Polly McNeill uh, makes if there is only one garage, uh, as she has described, and there are extremely long waiting lists, then I will ensure uh, that we liaise with Glasgow City Council to see what support uh, we can uh, provide. It should be said that the LEZ Support Fund has been providing grant funding for taxi retrofits since 2019. And since it opened, over 300 taxis have taken up the funding for retrofitting. So there is a fund available, but I do take the points that Polly McNeill raises uh, very seriously indeed. And we will explore and examine with our partners in Glasgow City Council if there's more that we can do. 
Question number five, Douglas Lumsden. Uh, to ask the First Minister whether he will provide an update on when the Scottish Government will review its ban on alcohol consumption on ScotRail train services. First Minister. Firstly, I should acknowledge that there are uh, quite a wide range of views on this very issue. My priority is ensuring that ScotRail services are safe, are enjoyable for all users and staff, but specifically women and girls, where we know of the role that alcohol often plays in making women feel unsafe. That's why the Transport Minister has asked that officials at Transport Scotland engage with the British Transport Police, ScotRail, ScotRail Holdings, Transport Focus, amongst other organisations, to ensure that all views on continuing the alcohol ban in ScotRail trains are given due consideration and all impacts are indeed assessed. That following a meeting last month, we have also written to trade union leaders asking for their views on the issue. Uh, we will, of course, update Parliament in the most appropriate way when a decision has been made and once we take into account all the views of stakeholders. Douglas Lumsden. Yep. First Minister, it is now three years since alcohol was banned on ScotRail trains as a COVID precaution measure. ScotRail and British Transport Police have both told me the ban is unworkable. People who indulge in antisocial behaviour are ignoring the ban and drinking anyway. It is the law-abiding Scots who are being penalised. So, First Minister, is it not time the SNP showed some trust in the Scottish public and scrapped this draconian rule and get more people back on the trains, especially during the upcoming Christmas period? First Minister. A couple of things I would say to Douglas Lumsden is I do appreciate there is a wide variety of views on this, and that is exactly why the Transport Minister has asked for a whole variety of stakeholders to be engaged. I have mentioned some of those uh, stakeholders already in terms of British Transport Police, Transport Scotland, ScotRail, uh, trade unions and others. And I would say to Douglas Lumsden, we will give appropriate weight to those stakeholders. He, I am sure, will not dispute that we will give particular weight to the voices of women yeah. uh, and girls, who often are the ones who tell us that they can feel unsafe when it comes to antisocial behaviour. Um, I have to say to Douglas Lumsden, I do not have an absolute fixed view in terms of uh, the, the evidence that will be brought forward, if, of course, the evidence points uh, towards that ban uh, being lifted, then, of course, we will explore that and give that uh, appropriate uh, consideration. John Mason. Hey, thank you. While the ban is in place, and of course there's other antisocial behaviour as well as drinking alcohol, can the First Minister say anything about the enforcement of it? And particularly, I do understand that some staff are getting uh, body-worn cameras, and is there any evidence of the effectiveness of these? First Minister. Well, the use of body-worn cameras is an operational matter for ScotRail, but I think it's important uh, to clarify here that staff are not expected to enforce the alcohol ban uh, on ScotRail trains. The enforcement of the alcohol ban is a matter for British Transport Police. Uh, the expansion of body-worn camera provision for staff through the rollout of 900 new cameras across ScotRail is part of a £1.6 million investment in tackling antisocial behaviour uh, on the rail network. It is not specifically targeted at the consumption of alcohol in ScotRail services. It is part of that wider effort right across the railways to make staff safer while carrying out their duties and improve the experiences of the travelling public. However, we know that research indicates that body-worn cameras can positively influence customer behaviour and reduce a wide range of antisocial behaviours. I am sure ScotRail will continue to update Transport Scotland and the Transport Minister on the matter. Question number six, Jackie Bailey. 
to ask the First Minister what immediate action the Scottish Government is taking to address the reported crisis in social care in light of the letter from the Coalition of Care and Support Providers in Scotland stating that the social care pay-up lift is insufficient. First Minister. Well, I do place a huge value on our social care workforce and exceptional care that they do provide. I'm fully committed to improving their pay to reflect that. The £12 minimum pay rate from April 2024 represents an increase of over 10% from the £10.90 minimum rate that was introduced in April of this year. It's also a 14.3% increase for these workers over the last two years. For workers and children's services who previously received the national minimum wage, this increase will represent a minimum increase in pay of 15.2% compared to April 2023 levels. So we're doing all we can within the devolved responsibilities and budgets to address those cost of living pressures. However, as a result of 13 years of Tory austerity, there's never been greater pressure on our public finances. If only we had those full powers over our budget, then we would not have to be at the whim of an austerity-driven UK government. Jackie Bailey. I'm pleased to hear how much the First Minister values social care because he will also know that vacancies for social care staff are up, turnover is up, some providers are handing back contracts because they're unable to deliver quality care due to a lack of staff. The First Minister announced that social care pay would rise to £12 from April 2024. That is now the uprated rate for the real living wage, so any advantage has been eroded. Does the First Minister believe that social care staff deserve the bare minimum in pay? And if not, will he bring forward revised proposals in the budget to properly value our hard-working social care staff? First Minister. We do value our hard-working social care staff. That's why, of course, we have agreed to increase the pay of over 10% from the £10.90 minimum rate that was introduced in April of this year. And I completely accept, fully accept, because I have engaged with social, the social care workforce, that they want us to go further and they want us to go faster. I completely respect that and understand that. We are, of course, constrained by our budget. And, of course, I will remind Jackie Bailey that it was Anna Sawa, her uh, colleague, who said that he was completely, I think, or had a presumption against income tax rises. So we have a position here where Jackie Bailey seems to be asking us to increase significantly the pay of social care workers. Those £15, uh, to £15 an hour, that would cost the government an additional £1.2 billion. So on the one hand, uh, Jackie Bailey and Scottish Labour Party are saying you cannot raise revenue in any way, shape or form. But at the same time, you have to find £1.2 billion to increase the pay to £15 an hour. So we will engage with the Scottish Labour Party. We are in the run-up, of course, to the budget. What I would say to Jackie Bailey, if she's asking us to spend in the, in the order of £1.2 billion, if she has any credibility whatsoever, she has to tell us where we'll find that money from. We move to constituency and general supplementaries, and I call Kenneth Gibson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Last Friday, technical faults meant that both ferries to Arran, Ardrossan to Brodick and Lachrans to Clunig were off, with cancellations continuing into the Saturday. First Minister, given the continued impact of ferry disruption, what economic assistance will the Scottish Government consider to enable businesses on Arran to survive what is already proving to be a very challenging winter? First Minister. Can I thank Kenny Gibson for the question, for his invitation for me to come to Arran to speak with businesses and the community uh, earlier this year, and I do absolutely recognise, having had those conversations 
the severe impact that disruption has regrettably had. And the best thing we can do is ensure, for CalMAC to ensure that disruption uh, does not happen. That's why this government is absolutely committed to investing in our ferry services and delivering six new major vessels to Scotland's ferry network by 2026. Uh, the charter of the MV Alfred is a further example of this. Um, and CalMAC were able to redeploy her last weekend to pick up services on the Adrosan Brodick uh, route. Uh, that being said, in my visit to Arran, um, I heard very clearly from the community that they wanted a better level of engagement with CalMAC, and I will ensure that Transport Minister provides Kenneth Gibson uh, with some of the updates on how that uh, conversation has been going. Jeremy Balfour. <clears throat> Thank you, President Officer. It had been reported today that the processing times for child disability mm -hmm. payment have risen to over 100 days. This represents just the latest failure of Social Security Scotland to deliver for those in need. Does the First Minister believe that those shocking delays embody dignity, fairness and respect? First Minister. I, I do understand that uh, an invitation uh, has been given to Jeremy Balfour to visit uh, the agency if he wishes. I don't know if it's been taken up, but the invitation uh, still uh, remains for him to visit the agency and they will be able to talk him through the uh, numerous actions that they are taking to reduce those processing times. I don't disagree with Jeremy Balfour. Uh, processing times uh, are far longer than we would want them to be. And, uh, the Cabinet Secretary and I have spoken in great length and great detail about the number of actions that are being taken by the agency. In fact, I'll ensure that uh, she responds to Jeremy Balfour with a full detail of the actions that are being taken. What is uh, positive about some of the statistics that we have seen uh, most recently is that when it comes to uh, many of our uh, uh, benefits, the redetermination rate is much lower here in Scotland than it is uh, for example, uh, in, in, uh, in comparison to the UK. So it may take slightly longer to process, I accept that point, but it's really important that we get the right decision uh, the first time round in as many cases as we possibly can. But I will ensure that Jeremy Balfour gets a full update from the Cabinet Secretary in terms of the actions we're taking. Rosa Grant. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The First Minister will know that BT confirmed yesterday the closure of their all nest base. 100 jobs will be lost, impacting in 1 in 50 local residents in Allness. Can I ask what talks he has had with BT to prevent these job losses, given that the BT group have benefited and enjoyed hundreds of millions of pounds of government funding? First Minister. Well, I'm sure that the Cabinet Secretary uh, does uh, engage with Rora Grant directly in terms of what support we're able to provide. Of course, these are extremely difficult times uh, for uh, the staff group that are involved. We don't want to see job losses. We'll do everything we can to try to prevent job losses. And where, if it is necessary, and if those job losses look like they are uh, going to occur, uh, then we can, of course, engage uh, PACE, where we can assist uh, with, of course, redeployment uh, where uh, we possibly can. But we want to try to see if we can avoid uh, the situation of the 100 job losses that Rhoda Grant mentions. And I'll ensure that uh, post-FMQs uh, that the Cabinet Secretary engages uh, with uh, Rhoda Grant directly. Ross Greer. Thank you. The First Minister has shown a moral leadership completely lacking at Westminster with his calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. And while the focus is rightly on trying to stop the slaughter happening there, over 180 Palestinians have been killed by extremist Israeli settlers and soldiers in the West Bank, and 1,000 have been forced to flee their villages. The United Nations has identified 97 companies who are complicit in Israel's illegal occupation through its West Bank settlements. The Scottish Government rightly takes a very strong stance against support for any company still trading with Russia after its invasion of Ukraine. So will the First Minister confirm that any company complicit in illegal occupation, whether it be of Palestine or of Ukraine, must be banned from receiving public sector contracts or grants here in Scotland? First Minister. I can thank, um, 
Ross Greer for uh, his uh, question. And it is worth reiterating here that I think it is also the position of the UK government that settlements uh, are indeed uh, illegal. And it's an international, most of the international community uh, agree with that point. And let me uh, mention the point, uh, let me mention uh, the action that uh, the former Minister for Business, Trade, Tourism and Enterprise, Ivan McKee, took. He wrote to uh, the small, a small number of companies uh, on a UN list that had links to uh, the government or public bodies uh, asking what steps they were taking uh, in relation uh, to any of those companies that were working in legal uh, settlements. My understanding uh, is that we are uh, somewhat constrained in terms of what we can do within the devolved settlement. But let me be uh, very clear to Ross Greer, we will uh, examine what we are able to do. Uh, anybody who is profiteering from illegal settlements anywhere, uh, of course, including in the occupied territories, wherever they are, uh, they should not be able to profit from public contracts uh, here. So let's explore what is possible within the limitations uh, of devolution. And I join uh, with Ross Greer and with many others across this chamber in urging uh, the, the, the international community to get right behind a ceasefire uh, and, of course, a ceasefire now. Keith Brown. Uh, our approach to migration and refugees should have dignity, fairness and respect at its core, as opposed to the UK Government's hostile environment approach, which we currently have to endure. Yesterday, the UK Government's plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda was ruled illegal by the Supreme Court. Can the First Minister provide any information on any assessment of these plans by the Scottish Government? Can he also confirm that more than £140 million of taxpayers' money, including Scottish taxpayers' money, has been squandered on this illegal scheme. And can he confirm whether he has heard a single word of criticism from any Tory MSP on this huge waste of taxpayers' money on this unworkable, scandalous and yeah. illegal scheme? First Minister, on matters for which the Government has responsibility. All, all I heard, I'm afraid, is when Keith Brown was speaking, uh, a whole bunch of groans from Tory MSPs as he mentioned, of course, the need for a humane asylum system here in the UK. And that's exactly what we need. We need a humane system that doesn't leave asylum seekers stuck in destitution for years without the right to work. And we recently launched our paper on migration in an independent Scotland, which sets out our approach to migration based very much on the values of dignity, of fairness and respect. Migrants who come to this country, they contribute more than they take. They bring skills, they bring experience, which greatly benefits our economy and enhances the diversity of our society. The UK government's policy of sending asylum seekers to Rwanda is morally repugnant. It's now being confirmed as unlawful too. This policy should be consigned to the dustbin of history and have no place in a modern and humane society. Thank you, Presiding Officer. It's now been almost eight weeks since I raised the issue of the fire at the Air Station Hotel in the Chamber. The station is still closed, the surrounding roads are closed due to safety concerns and local businesses are suffering. So can I ask the First Minister again, what funding and help can the Scottish Government provide to help find a speedy resolution? First Minister. And I thank Sharon Dowie for raising what is an important uh, issue. And of course, all of our uh, hearts go with those communities that have been affected uh, by uh, the disruption uh, due to the air station hotel uh, fire. Uh, I will ensure that a written update is provided uh, to Sharon Dowie in terms of the actions that we have taken alongside our partners uh, in Ayrshire. And I want to commend once again our brave firefighters and Scottish Fire and Rescue Service 
who once again, uh, of course, diligently, efficiently uh, dealt with uh, that tragic fire at Air Station Hotel. But I will ensure that Sharon Dowie uh, gets full details of our interactions with the local authority and the support we are able to provide. Pam Duncan Glancy. Thank you, President Officer. This morning, the IFS published a report that shows children in Scotland are falling behind in science and maths and that the gap between the test scores of the richest and poorest children has grown. Yesterday, head teachers were the latest group to join a chorus of experts to say this government's inaction on reform is hurting the poorest students. So can I ask the First Minister, does he accept that with every day that passes and his government dither on the key decisions needed on reform, he is denying Scotland's children the opportunities they deserve? No, I, I don't agree with that characterisation uh, at all. And of course, it is the poverty-related attainment gap uh, that we are, of course, committed uh, to substantially uh, eliminating. And what I would say to Pam Duncan Glancy, that is made far more difficult by a Westminster government that is hell-bent yeah. on deepening poverty yeah. uh, at every single uh, stage. Uh, what I would say to Pam Duncan Glancy is we are uh, indeed making progress when it comes to reducing and narrowing the poverty related uh, attainment gap. If you look at the recent Audit Scotland uh, report, if you look at exam uh, results, uh, show that uh, between attainment levels in the, in, in the least and most deprived areas, it has narrowed from the 2019 uh, level, the pre-pandemic uh, level. And I can again send uh, full detail to Pam Duncan Glancy of the narrowing uh, of that gap and the progress that we're making. But we are absolutely committed to making sure that we continue to narrow that gap. Uh, that job would be made far easier, of course, if we weren't having the headwinds of austerity that the Westminster Government have inflicted on the people of Scotland. Yeah. And Ivan McKee. Community Link. Community Link practitioners play a vital role in GP surgeries, including in my own Glasgow province constituency. So it's very welcome that the Health Secretary has confirmed that the Scottish Government will be providing additional funding over three years to help preserve the existing Community Link Worker Programme within Glasgow City Health and Social Care Partnership. Can the First Minister provide any further information about this funding and how it will be directed to continue to deliver positive health outcomes in communities? First Minister. Well, I agree entirely with Ivan McKee's uh, sentiments. Community link workers uh, are absolutely vital uh, to the communities they serve. And every single one of us as MSPs who has had the pleasure of interacting with community link workers know just how much they're valued, not just by the communities, but indeed uh, by the GP practices that they serve in, and they are at the forefront of our efforts to address health inequalities. Um, since we learnt of the risk to these vital services, we have engaged extensively, and, and Michael Matheson has engaged extensively over several months with Glasgow Health and Social Care Partnership to find a solution, and I am therefore pleased to confirm that we will be able to provide the partnership with £1.2 million to, to sustain the full provision of community link workers. And as Ivan McKee rightly says, we have offered that funding on a recurrent basis for the next uh, three years. As I have said, they are, community links workers are absolutely fundamental, vital to tackle uh, the inequality that we see to rife in our communities uh, that has been exacerbated by the Westminster cost of living crisis. And I hope the decision to fund them for the next uh, three years brings peace of mind, not just to the staff whose posts were at risk, but most importantly for the communities that they serve. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions.